When I started to notice the Lord was really reversing my heart was when I had brothers in the program that I could reach out to and they would share their burden, what they were going through in their life, but I noticed I actually cared. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd follow up with that brother, pray with them and try to do whatever I could to help them. I just noticed that people's needs and what they had going on in their life actually became a priority in my own. Uh, to where I, you know, I would wake up and wonder how so and so I need to go find out and, and began to try to find ways to show mercy to multiple people. Hey all, this is the last episode in our series, Exposing the Root of All Sin. Today we talk about another essential component of overthrowing the reign of self, living in the flow of God's love. Jesus said that if we loved God with all our hearts and our neighbors as ourselves, we would actually be fulfilling all of his commandments. Pride and self cannot flourish when a person is defined by a desire to meet the needs of others. A life lived in the service of others brings about the death of the self-life. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. The path out of pride into humility is certainly multifaceted, and it can be a painful process. But if we want to walk with the Lord, then we have to walk the path of humility. One evidence that we are walking on this path is that the needs of the people around us are very important to us. We start our show today by talking with Dustin Renz about the power of giving your life away in the service of others. Dustin, one of the characteristics of a person who's truly humble is that they have this constant awareness of the importance of other people. Mm -hmm. And I want to spend some time on this because I think it can be really eye-opening. But first, before we go there, let's talk about the converse of that. Mm -hmm. If a person is proud, we could then say that they don't live in a constant awareness of how important other people are. You've been a pastor for a number of years. How would you say that prideful people view others? I think the proud person, they always, when they look at someone else, it's always about what they can get out of that person. And depending on the manifestation of pride, that looks different ways. For the vain person, it might be trying to get you know, their attention um, mm-hmm. for the person who loves to talk, that know-it-all type of person. It might be just getting someone else's time. Uh, could be getting a compliment. Um, there's a lot of different ways it plays out. For a spiritually proud person, it could be just using other people um, to look at somebody who's less spiritual than me. So you're using other people as a way to prop yourself up yeah, in your yeah, mind. Yeah. But people always become an opportunity to extract value from. And so it's always about not how can I be a blessing to you. It's always about what can I get from you for myself. Um, I think that's really at the heart of a proud person. Yeah, and you know, the way that you just explained that shows how subtle self-centeredness and selfishness can be. And I know for myself, oftentimes, it really takes just the piercing, precise illumination of the Holy Spirit to expose um, what's really going on inside my heart in the way that I relate to other people. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe share 
some other ways that we could see the subtleties of selfishness and self-centeredness in people. Yeah, I really think that it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal our hearts because a lot of these things that we're talking about happen internally. Yeah. And if we're not conscious of what's happening inside, we'll totally miss the the manifestations of pride that take place. Right. But I think we see it in everyday life. You know, if you're going out to eat and you've got your waitress and your food's not the right way you wanted it or it's taken too long, are you treating that person like someone who's created in the image of God, or are they just an inconvenience and mm-hmm. your schedule's so important and you totally forget they're going through things in their lives mm-hmm. that you don't even know about? Mm-hmm. Or you're walking around, you might come into contact with a homeless person, and instead of showing them love in some way, even if it's just to greet them or pray for them, you just buzz along your way because there's an inconvenience to getting where you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of myself rushing through the grocery store and trying to get in line in front of people, thinking my agenda is more important than everyone else's. Somehow what I've got going on trumps everyone else around me. Yeah. Uh, but you see it also at how you spend your time, how much time is spent on yourself versus pouring into other people can show the importance there. Um, or even how you spend your money is all your resources that God's given you all for self, or are you using that to allocate it to help be a blessing to other people? And so I think there's a lot of ways that all of us struggle with in our life. We see it if we really pay attention to it. But I think the the ultimate thing is when you're the king of your own castle in your mind, rather than realizing you're one of literally billions of people on the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then definitely there's some pride that's rising up when you become the all-important thing. Your agenda, your money, your priorities are yeah. way more important than anyone else's. Yeah. Can we talk now about a humble person, someone who is constantly living with the awareness of the importance of other people? How do we see that playing out in that person's life? Yeah, it's the exact opposite of what we talked about, about the proud person. Um, rather than becoming so conscious of self, they become conscious of other people. Yeah. When they are in- interacting with someone, it's not always about what can I get from you. It's also what can I give to you? How can I pour into you? Um, rather than trying to grab listening ears for self, they're going to be that listening ear to someone else. Rather than expecting everyone to compliment them about how great they are, they're going to be the one to encourage and be a compliment mm. to them. Mm. And so it's all the things that a proud person would do for self. Instead, they're willing to give them away rather than try to take them. Um, that's really the lifestyle of a humble person. They just want to love and to be a blessing and an encouragement to other people. Yeah, as you're talking about that, it's just it's incredible that there are so many different fruits of humility that mm-hmm. come out in people for the vain person, as they begin to be humbled, it's going to look one way. For the spiritually proud, it's going to look another way. For the really self-centered person, it'll look different. But it's all the fruit of that humility. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if maybe you could share a little of your own testimony. When God began to humble you, how did you start to see the importance of others begin to play out mm-hmm. for you? Well, I really noticed it uh, for sure is when I was in the Pure Life program, the residential program. I remember, and I've shared before about when I first came, I was so full of myself, dominating conversations. It was always just about me and what I could get out of other people. And when I started to notice the Lord was really reversing my heart was when I had brothers in the program that I could reach out to and and say, hey, how are you doing? And they would share their burden, what they were going through in their life. But I noticed I actually cared. It mm-hmm. became something that I was concerned about. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd follow up with that brother, pray with them, and try to do whatever I could to help them. I just noticed that people's needs and what they had going on in their life actually became a priority in my own hmm. uh, to where I you know, I would wake up and wonder how so-and-so I need to go find out and, and began to try to find ways to show mercy to multiple people. 
Um, and so it was totally different than previously where I was always trying to get for self. And so I think when you begin to see that change, that when the humility begins to set in, you'll notice internally you'll care more, the vain person will care more about the image of other people than their own image. Mm. And the the spiritually proud, rather than trying to look down on other people, they're going to begin to see how God's working in other people's yeah. lives and have that merciful you know, heart toward them. And so whatever that thing is they were trying to obtain for themselves, they begin to give it away to other people and see value in other people. I think that's when you really begin to see how God can change your heart. And it's really the, it'll blossom into a lifestyle um, where that becomes simple everyday life. You don't think about it anymore. Now your whole life is focused on other people and you don't have a whole lot of time to focus on yourself. You know, anytime you're allowing God to deeply change some aspect of your life, you realize that it's a journey. You don't just arrive there overnight. There's temptations, there's difficulties, there's setbacks, there's failures. And we've been talking about how important it is to begin to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. But sin is so deceptive. Even at times we find ourselves trying to put the needs of others before us, serving, but it's like this really subtle way to serve ourselves again. Mm-hmm. Have you found that temptation? You're, I mean, you're a, you're a full-time pastor. You find that temptation to be true? Yes, I think in ministry, it's a great example, um, as a minister myself, that the the chief end of ministry is to serve other people. And so ministers are essentially supposed to be giving their lives for others. Yeah. But I've even seen in that in my own life, I think about Bible school. You know, I was in a group, a class of students with future pastors and worship leaders, teachers, people who had a really desire to give their lives to the Lord in service. And yet there was still a mixture of self in there. You know, I was thinking... Out of all the people I met in Bible school and, and went to school with, all of us had these great aspirations. We wanted to be the pastors of the next mega churches, recorded worship artists. You know, everybody had this desire uh, to have some kind of fame. And of course, you know, the American church culture really plays into that. But I can't remember anybody who said, you know, I just want to have a small church out in the country of 20 people and just faithfully serve Jesus with those people. You know, the, mm. the faithfulness to the call and to serve other people was downplayed. And the elevation of how I could be seen by other people was really a lot of people's ambitions. Hmm. Um, And I fell into the same trap myself early on, wanting to do music ministry um, as I began to do concerts and be in front of people. While the label of Jesus was on it, and I sincerely desired in some ways to serve the Lord with it, at some point it began to become about me and how other people saw me. And so that balance kind of got out of whack where it ended up actually being very self-serving without me even really realizing it. And so I think there's always a danger, you know, whether you're a minister or you serve people in other ways, just in your regular Christian life, we have to take care of our hearts that we're not doing things for other people just to check it off the list to say, oh, I was humble today. And then it really becomes about what I did. It's really just about having the desire of our hearts to help other people. And if that's not there, we need to ask the Lord, God, give me a real concern mm-hmm. for the importance and priorities of other people's lives. I don't want to do this for selfish gain. I really yeah. want to have your heart for other people. Okay, so then could you give some practical exhortations to somebody who's saying, yes, I, I want my service to the Lord to be pure and not a mixture of self. What would you say? So I would say to that person that they need to look at Jesus as their example for true humility. Uh, He, of course, created the entire universe, yet when he came to the earth, he came to serve Mm. other people, not Mm -hmm. to be served. He said that himself. 
We see him washing the feet of his own creation, his disciples. Mm. We see him, you know, ministering to the outcasts of society. And so the example that he led to us is being obedient and just obeying the Lord even in the little things that no one else notices. Mm. Uh, Matthew 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, the, he's having this conversation and he talks about to the sheep, he says, when I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me something to eat and drink. When I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. When I didn't have clothes on, you clothed mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they say, well, when did we do that? And his response is, you did that when you did it to the least of these. And so you and I, as, as we're walking through our daily lives, we have our whole goal shouldn't be to try to achieve some certain level of expectation of what other people think of us right, or to elevate right. ourselves in some way. It should be to simply obey God and the simple everyday things, just um, ministering to people in small ways that yeah. maybe no one else will ever see. It could just be in your prayer life. As you walk through the grocery store, or as you're out at work, you're praying for people internally. You don't get rewards on earth for that or acclaim for that, but God sees it and he promises to reward us on the other side. So I think it's really important just to realize that we should never seek to be elevated. Um, God's the one who chooses to elevate people. We should choose to humble ourselves. And what that looks like is in everyday life, looking for opportunities to be a blessing to other people, pray for other people, make other people's concerns more important than our own. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves walking in humility. Hmm. If God chooses to lift us up in some way, that's up to him. But our desire should just be, Jesus, I just want to serve you in the smallest things. And if no one else sees it but you, I'll be okay with that. We hope that you've been blessed in previous episodes by hearing the testimonies of godly men like William Carey and George Mueller. We've got one more for you in this series. Hudson Taylor is one of the most well-known missionaries in history, having been used by God to establish the China Inland Mission, whose missionaries went to many places where no other Christians had gone before, eventually winning 18,000 souls to Christ. Yet what's most amazing about his story is not the conversions, his charisma, or his excellent organizational abilities, but his humility. He learned to give God all the credit and to see himself rightly as small before the almighty God of glory. He depended on God alone and lived in service to others, especially those who were without Christ and in need of the gospel. Let's see what we can learn from his story as we seek to live a life of mercy. Hudson Taylor, the man of small stature who had a big heart for China, was born in England in 1832. As a young man, he sensed the call of God on his life and entered medical school to prepare for the mission field. Little did he know then how he would be severely tested in the years ahead. While still in London, he came down with a life-threatening disease and spent months so sick that he could barely manage to get out of bed. He finally got better and booked passage on a ship headed to China. Taylor arrived in Shanghai in 1854 and soon began making forays into the countryside to preach the gospel. The lack of response from the people brought him to conclude that his European style of clothing made him seem strange to the people. Much to the amusement of the other missionaries, the earnest young man exchanged his European attire for that of the local people. On one evangelistic trip, 
Taylor and his traveling companion were warned not to enter the city they were approaching, as the soldiers there would most surely kill them. They would not be dissuaded because they felt that God had sent them there. He tells what happened as they approached the city. Long before we reached the gate, however, a tall, powerful man, made tenfold fiercer by partial intoxication, let us know that all the militia were not so peaceably inclined by seizing Mr. Burdone by the shoulders. My companion endeavored to shake him off. I turned to see what was the matter, and at once we were surrounded by a dozen or more brutal men who hurried us on to the city at a fearful pace. My bag began to feel very heavy, and I could not change hands to relieve myself. I was soon in profuse perspiration and was scarcely able to keep pace with them. We demanded to be taken before the chief magistrate, but we were told that they knew where to take us and what to do with such persons as we were with the most insulting epithets. The man who first seized Mr. Burdone soon afterwards left him for me and became my principal tormentor, for I was neither so tall nor so strong as my friend and was therefore unable to resist him. The man who first seized Mr. Burdone soon afterwards left him for me and became my principal tormentor, for I was neither so tall nor so strong as my friend and was therefore less able to resist him. He all but knocked me down again and again, seized me by the hair, took hold of my collar so as to almost choke me, and grabbed my arms and shoulders, making them black and blue. Had this treatment continued much longer, I must have fainted. At last they were taken to a magistrate's office where they were treated more kindly. In fact, the magistrate felt so badly about the abuse they had endured that he sent men with Hudson and Mr. Burdone to protect them as they preached and passed out literature. Thus, God was able to use Satan's attack to spread the gospel. Taylor continued to travel through China, preaching at every opportunity, passing out literature, and showing his willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. In 1865, having been on the mission field for 11 years, the Lord burdened him to begin an organization with the specific intention of reaching the untouched interior of China. He traveled back to England, preaching and writing about the great need to evangelize the millions of lost souls in China. He also began to plead with God to provide the workers needed to undertake such a great endeavor. A number of people responded to his call and joined him and his wife in China. Some of these later rose up in pride against Hudson and returned to England, spreading malicious lies about him. He refused to retaliate or even defend himself, leaving it in the hands of the Lord. Hudson continued to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. By the time of his death, 40 years after starting the organization, there were hundreds of missionaries employed by the China Inland Mission. God used Hudson Taylor and his followers to open up the interior of that great country to the message of Christ. Thousands of Chinese were saved. The Boxer Rebellion attempted to stamp out Christianity, but it only caused it to flourish all the more. 
Although his organization became one of the most effective and renowned missionary undertakings in the world, Mr. Taylor remained, quote, little in his own eyes. Once, a church leader from Scotland commented to him, you must sometimes be tempted to be proud because of the wonderful way God has used you. I doubt if any man living has had greater honor. On the contrary, Hudson replied, I often think that God must have been looking for someone small enough and weak enough for him to use, and that he found me. In 1905, the small man with the heart as big as the country he was called to evangelize went home to be with his Lord. Throughout this entire series, we've been trying to help you understand what the prideful self-life is, how it manifests itself, and how to deal with it. In essence, pride is an exaggerated opinion of my own importance and a selfish preoccupation with my own rights. When we're high-minded, we see others as being there to serve us. But Jesus is nothing like that. He's the king of the universe, and he said that he came not to be served, but to serve. I can't imagine anything more humble than that. One way that we teach our students to overcome sexual lust is by serving others through prayer, that when they're tempted to lust over someone, they ought to instead bring that person's need before God in prayer. In fact, we often tell our students that 95% of serving others should be done in their hearts through prayer. We talked to a few students in our residential program recently to show you how prayer breaks the power of the self-life and makes room for the life of Jesus to dwell in our hearts. For our first testimony, let's hear from Vinny. When he saw his own inability to do any good in his own strength, he decided to pray and then trust that God would do the work. So in my time in the program, uh, especially when I was at work, um, I was working at Leslie's. Uh, it's a, a warehouse job where I was left to myself pretty much all day picking product and I was left to my own thinking. And, you know, after a few months of that, I think the Lord really showed me how selfish I am in my thought life, not just when it comes to sexual fantasy, but just generally in my thinking was all centered around myself. Um, you know, a few months in, my counselor started to challenge me to get out of myself and into the needs of others and to go out and find what those needs are and meet them and after about a week of that I realized all these needs that are being revealed to me I had no means to meet them in myself so all I was left to do was to pray for them um, and pray that God would meet their needs and as I started doing that the more I did that even at, especially at work when I had that block of time where I was not able to talk to anyone else just left to my own thoughts I just started praying for other people as those needs kept coming up and slowly but surely my focus just started shifting from myself to other people and my faith actually started growing in the Lord as I saw him meeting those needs you know as I talked to those people again and those needs were being answered you know and I realized 
I don't have to, it doesn't have to come from me. The Lord has what we need. And uh, we can actually usher those needs in through prayer. For most of us, when we begin interceding for others regularly, it feels mechanical and dry. This is how it was for Robbins. But we learn from his story that if we persevere in daily prayer, not giving up, God will change our heart to be soft and to sincerely desire the good of others. I was a pretty calloused and pragmatic person and just receiving information, processing it, but never feeling it, never empathizing really with anyone, not even people close to me really. And that's changed a lot. You know, having the mercy prayer and actually praying for people, not only on campus, but a lot of my friends at home who are just going through it. So the same struggles I am, who aren't saved and some who are saved as well. Um, And just seeing it develop from just rote prayer into, it was just one time I prayed to God, like, Lord, just give me a fervent prayer for me to mean it and give me a heart for these people like you do. And that's happened. That's happened in just overall and even just in individual times during my quiet time where, I mean, I have a list of people that I pray for regularly, but even sometimes the Lord would just bring people into my mind. Like, I haven't thought about this person in so long and just start praying for this person getting into the needs of others on campus and, you know, in terms of their marriages and their struggles, um, really feeling the heart of the Lord in that. So, yeah, mercy has really changed who I am. It, um, you know, when I really think about it, it reminds me of Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five, where it says, he will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Sometimes when we serve others, we have this secret desire to be noticed and to be praised. Reagan learned an important lesson about serving others, not for what he could get out of it, but in order to please his heavenly Father. The Lord taught me a really important lesson about mercy and what it really is. You know, here on campus, we we have chores we have to do every day. And one week, I mercyed somebody's chore all week. Like I did somebody's tour every single day. And I got to the end of the week and I remember I was standing in the main house dining area where you sit. And I was standing there and there the guy of the the tour that I had mercyed, he was in the kitchen and there was another guy with him and they were talking. And the person was like, your tour has been mercy. Did you see that like all week? He's like, oh yeah, I did see that. And then he was like, yeah, I know it was so-and-so. And it was not me that he said. And I just remember in that moment, I was so, I rose up so bad. I was like, what? Like, no, it was me. Like, and I wanted to say something so bad. But in that moment, like, it was like that moment, it was like, wow. I was like, I know nothing about mercy. Because if I really did mercy that person's chore, you know, out of, from my heart for, to help that person out, I wouldn't have rose up like that. You know, if I, when I mercy someone, I have no regard for myself and what I get out of it. And in that moment, the Lord showed me that 
I really just wanted glory for myself and I just wanted the praise for what I had done instead of freely giving the Lord's mercy as he's had mercy on me. Um, I was too concerned about receiving praise for something when I should be concerned about helping someone out because maybe they had a long day or you know they were struggling in a certain area. So it was more of like teaching me what you know what I thought it what God's mercy was and showing me how wrong I was about it. Do you remember the episode when we showed how bitterness and rage often come along with pride? When Ken began to pray for others, he started to see the bitterness and anger melting away and being replaced with love and peace. So before coming to Pure Life, I was a very angry person. And even during part of my program, a lot of that anger manifested. And it specifically would manifest at work. Um, One of the jobs that I had was to package refrigerator panels and we would use a tape gun to tape up the package. And sometimes the tape in my tape gun wouldn't work the way that I wanted it to work. And so I would explode in anger and I would take the tape out of the tape gun, throw it and curse and completely blow it out of proportion and uh, just in a very prideful, wrong state. And so um, I was challenged at a service to pray mercy for others in that situation. And it really changed the atmosphere from focusing on self to choosing to love other people. And it brought an atmosphere of peace. Um, It's changed me over even like um, simple things such as like driving down the road and uh, a car crossing into my lane, that would be something that used to make me very angry, but now through praying mercy, uh, there is now peace where there used to be anger. Yeah, the Lord's given me victory. It's a surprising yet wonderful revelation that When we're committed to praying for others, we ourselves are being set free from our self-lives, including being set free from sexual lust. We see this cleansing happen with Chris, and we also see that when we pray for others, God will often lead us and use us to be a true blessing to them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's something that I thought I knew what it meant. Um, before I came to PLM, but God's been showing me just so much more than it is so much more than just simple words. And he used that through a situation that happened within the past few weeks. Um, Found out I was moving to a different dorm. It was a busy night already, Um, been a busy week. I was looking forward to uh, checking in with my folks back home, but just throughout the process of moving and getting to make that phone call, the Lord had put an opportunity in my way It was one of the guys living in the dorm I was moving into. Um, He was walking by, was crying, and it's almost like the Lord laid it out before me. He's like, go to him. He needs help. He needs prayer. I'm like, yes, Lord. It was a beautiful opportunity that the Lord provided to get out of myself and what I wanted and really seek this guy's need. Really seek, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, how can we seek the Lord together? 
and yeah, I did get the chance to call my folks. It was like a three or four minute phone call, but at the same time, on a deeper, more important level, it was a chance to get out of myself. It was a chance to really love God, love others, like lay my life down as the Lord has laid his life down for us. And not only that, I'm getting the chance to develop a friendship with this guy. Um, might check in every so often, see how you're doing, and really just get the grace and the mercy from the Lord to withstand temptation, to be able to stand on my two feet, trusting in Him to lead and guide me, uh, preserve me, even as I face my own times of struggle. Um, the Lord has proven through this yet again, the, the, those who do mercy really are blessed. I, they shall receive mercy. It is absolutely true. We've covered a lot of ground during this series, and if you've been receptive, I'm sure your eyes have been opened in some way. Maybe you weren't even aware that the self-life and pride were the root of all sin. Or maybe you saw new manifestations of pride that you had never seen before. Or maybe you had started to realize how serious the call to humility really is. I wonder how many of you can relate to my story. At one time, I was blissfully unaware of my pride. Then I began to see and began to deal with it. Over time, I became overwhelmed as I started to understand how deeply the roots went. The temptation to give up at times was overwhelming. But the loving kindness of the Lord never fails. To those who are willing to keep following him on the path of humility, he is willing to keep giving us the strength. And when we consider the beauty of this God who is inviting us to become like him, and when we contemplate the hell that awaits those who turn away from him, what alternative do we have? When we see the incredible humility of God, why would we want to continue in the pride of the devil? Yes, the meek and lowly Lamb of God is still calling for all to come to Him, to take His yoke and to learn of Him. May none of us refuse Him. Thanks again for joining us for our series, Exposing the Root of All Sin on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.